Welcome to Brand and Deliver, the podcast dedicated to great professional services marketing. In each episode, we're joined by marketing leaders from across professional services firms as we explore how they create strategies designed to deliver genuine value. I hope you enjoy the episode. Today, Alex and I are joined by Kevin Matthews. Now Global Head of Marketing at Devonor, Kevin's goal is to establish his firm as one of the world's leading litigation funding companies. This isn't Kevin's first foray into marketing, however. He has a proven track record of building and scaling marketing functions within professional services businesses. And today, we're lucky enough to hear from the man himself about how he's achieved this, his approach to doing so, and most importantly, the key lessons he's learned along the way. So Kevin, thanks for making time to chat with us today. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me to to join you, actually. And and you know, before we get into it, the first thing I'll say is that whatever I share today, it's not about what what I've done, but it's always a team effort. Whether you've got the the direct members of the team within the firm or the the broader partners that you bring in to actually help facilitate that. So, whatever we're sharing today, this is this is not about. What I've done, I think I, I consider myself a facilitator at doing a lot of this, but um, it's definitely, you know, I think the first thing to acknowledge in any marketing function, no matter how big or small that function is, is a team effort for sure. Completely agree. And I think really interested to dig into a little bit of that today as well in terms of the practicalities of that and how you leverage a team and, and different sizes of teams as well, I think, through your experience, you'll have experiences, as they say, of big and small. So uh, interested to dig into how that's done differently um, at different places. So I want to get straight into it. I think taking a firm's marketing function from non-existent to one that is generating global awareness and sustainable ROI is, I would imagine, the ambition of a lot of our listeners. You've done it multiple times. The obvious question to start with, I think, is how? What's your approach? I think the most important thing to acknowledge is that there is not a right or wrong way to do this. I think that really is the the firm, you know, sort of aftermost important point to just reinforce. All I can do is explain the approach that comes naturally to me, because I think that for me, that is probably three quarters of the lesson and the journey. And what do I mean by that? What, What I mean is, I think it's taken me years to get comfortable with my strengths, with my approach, with the type of marketing that I like to implement. And um, and I would assume that, uh, you know, a lot of other marketers are probably out there in that same journey and that same transition. But I think the key thing here is when you can understand the approach that you like to take to marketing and that works for you, then I think the key thing there is to back that approach 100% and learn to gain the confidence to really look for those opportunities and those companies that are going to be right for you. And that does take confidence and it does take experience to do that. But, you know, I, like many other people, have tried different industries, different company sizes, different geographical locations on for size throughout my career. And I think something that I was always conscious, consciously doing was just checking in with myself each time I did that to see, am I closer to what feels natural to me or am I further away? And I think, um, I think really, I think 
that's the fundamental starting point. You know, it's not about what I would say that my secret sauce that I bring to a role. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that, but I think I think a big chunk of it is actually a marketer checking in with themselves and finding the right environment for them where they can thrive. And I think I I don't know nowadays with how fast careers go and how fast industries change. I don't know whether people A, aware to do that or B, have the time to do that or, or give themselves permission to do that. But I've got to say, I, I, I would start with there. I, I really think it's essential that if you can find what motivates you and what comes naturally to you, then I think you're going to be not just more fulfilled in the role, but you're going to be far more effective within that role and you're going to deliver better results for the firm that you're with. And ultimately, you're going to become more valuable on the market as well. So it's in your own interest to, if you like, reinvest and check in with yourself. I don't know. Does that? It's, it's a different, probably a different answer to maybe what you're expecting, but I don't know if that helps you understand, if you like, my approach for, for how I go about this. It definitely does. Yeah, I think that made a lot of sense. And I really liked in particular what you said there about backing yourself 100% because I think we talk so much about imposter syndrome and feeling like you're not quite doing what you think you should be and taking that time to check in with yourself and really understanding whether or not you're in the right place and you're doing the right thing and and then backing yourself with your decision is is brilliant. I think that's, yeah, really, really clever. What were you going to say, Dan? I was going to say, I think one of the things that came up that that I found really interesting is giving yourself that space to fail and to learn from it and understand that that's all part of the process of, sort of finding those conditions, I suppose, where you thrive. I think a good place to start is maybe going back to that first role or, or one of your earlier roles and, and understanding how your approach started out there and how it's different for now and, and how failure and, and, and the lessons you've learned along the way have helped you shape that approach a little bit. Yeah, I think, I, I think there's a few, a few things we can explore there. I think, first of all, I was fortunate enough to to meet someone probably 15 years ago now that he described careers in a way that I could resonate with. And I hadn't been able to to describe it like this before I'd met him, but it was actually, I realized that subconsciously I was probably doing it before, but then actually having spoken to him, then it made sense. And what he said was, he said, sometimes you may not know the destination that you want to reach. And I, I think quite often, you know, when people are getting you to focus on what you want to achieve in life or what you want to achieve in business. They, they say, what's the goal? Where's the end goal? Where do you want to get to? And I don't know about other people out there, but I've got to admit, I find that incredibly overwhelming. And I've always found that incredibly difficult to try and do. And when I met this, this gentleman, he actually described it in a similar way. He actually said that he struggled with that. And what he then said was he reversed it round. He started looking at things that he realized weren't right. And he just started moving away from those, trying to remove those from his career or remove those from his role. And it was by default of elimination or by just moving away from a point that he knew wasn't correct that helped take him closer towards the route that was correct for his career. And I have to say, ever since kind of meeting him, I've, I've made a conscious effort to realize that, okay, I may not see the end destination about where I want to end up with, but actually, as long as I'm checking in to make sure that the the variables, the factors, how do they feel around me? Do they feel right or do they feel wrong? And 
that was definitely something I used in the early part of my career because I realized that as much as I was doing marketing in the early part of my career, I wasn't necessarily in the industry or the location or the company size that just felt right to me. So although I didn't know at the time that it was going to be professional services, probably up in London or working for a European or a worldwide boutique consultancy that was going to be my ultimate goal, if you want to call it that, or where I would, my destination. What I did realize was that where I was, wasn't feeling right. So I had the confidence then to start trying on different hats to then start feeling, do they feel better or do they feel worse? And I think, I think that's what, to your point, you know, when we're talking about experimenting, not being afraid to experiment within your own career. It's appreciating that a career goes on for a hell of a long time. And yes, it's going to go past quickly, but actually you've also got the time to really not reinvent yourself. You know, you can do, but you've got the chance to really hone your skills. That's really what I'm saying. So you can definitely take time to reassess or constantly assess where you are and whether that environment feels right to you. And if it doesn't feel right, that that's really a, a, a great subconscious sign that you, you probably need to just try a different environment. And that's where you'll always hear me come back to company size or a different type of culture or a different industry. Just go try something else and see whether that feels more more natural to you. That's the first part. But I think the second part that you were kind of asking about was, you know, if you like the some of the, the core lessons on the way. And I think when I first started, and obviously, you know, I've kind of been around almost in a, I'm going to say, a pre-digital era to now being in a very much a, a, a digital embedded era. But what I would say was earlier on in my career, it was incredibly difficult to measure marketing effectiveness because you didn't have access to the same degree of analytics and tools that we have available to us today. And as a result, I kind of grew up in a in an environment where you didn't push that as much. And as a result, I, yeah, I'm speaking honestly, I, I didn't focus enough attention on the importance of measuring marketing effectiveness. And out of anything I've really tried to improve within my own approach to marketing, is that it is that ability to identify some key metrics, regardless of how green that environment is that you're going into, regardless of how raw that environment is is that you're going into, but identify some key metrics that you believe make the most difference to the business and then just hone in on those and measure those constantly and share those with the team. You know, I think it's very easy to get bombarded by a whole range of different metrics. And 90% of those don't mean anything. But if you can hone in and identify the 10% that mean the most early on on your journey, you are going to be able to align the business with so much of what you're doing because you can really demonstrate the key things that are making the most difference. And I do believe that's one of the biggest challenges with marketing because there is so much noise out there within our industry, especially now with how much tech and analytics are driving our industry. It's very easy to get caught up in a whole load of dashboards and a whole load of analytics and ultimately lose sight of maybe just a couple of simple metrics that really are making the biggest difference to your business. And I, th- I, th- I think, you know, hopefully those kind of different insights, one from a career perspective, another from how you approach the role, hopefully that's helpful. It definitely is. And I think really interesting points around kind of effectiveness in there that I think would be really interesting to dig into because I think 
as marketers, it's very easy to get lost in marketing metrics, which, you know, when you're part of a business who is maybe not so market, uh, so clued up on marketing, they may not see marketing metrics in the same way that, that we do as marketers and maybe start to see them as not vanity metrics, but not contributing necessarily towards wider sort of business performance. And I suppose keen to dig in a little bit to your approach to finding that 10% because I imagine it's a hybrid between introducing metrics that you know prove effective marketing, but also doing so in a way that ties into broader business goals and business strategy so that they can see, so the wider business can see the impact that marketing is having towards other strategic goals. So I suppose my question is, how do you find that 10% that is going to make the business listen rather than getting lost in the dashboards? Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it is a common issue, I think, that does kind of rear its head. I think the area I'm going to start in for this question is the fact that in every single role that I take on, I am going in as the company's first head of marketing. So I'm going into an environment, a business environment that traditionally has never had any marketing function or influence, at least internally, within that business. So what does that mean? That means that you're going in to an industry-centric business rather than a more rounded corporate-centric business. So I think one of the first things I do is I actually throw all the jargon out the window. I do not go in with any marketing jargon at all, because I think the first thing I've got to learn to do is to speak the language of the business. Because if I can help them understand me through speaking their language, then we're going to be aligned. And I think there can be a tendency for marketers to think that they're being brought in to speak marketing to the business and to deliver marketing to the business. Ultimately, what you're being asked to do is to go in and help accelerate that business growth. You're you're being asked to go in there and help take that business from one level to another. And the best way to do that and the way of doing so with the path of least resistance and getting the most internal buy-in, in my opinion, is to learn to speak the language of the business as quickly as possible. And the way to do that is, or at least the way I do that, is I immerse myself speaking with the team right from day one. You know, it it really is that old analogy of you get stuck in, you roll up your sleeves, you start learning every part of that business that you can, because then you can start speaking the language of the business. And actually, what's fantastic when you take that approach, that real ground up approach where it's just literally you going on on day one and just learning everything from scratch is you get such a more rounded and thorough insight into actually what makes that business work than what you ever would do if you were just coming in as more of an outside marketer looking down on that business. So I think there's a a huge, well, at least from my perspective, I find a huge amount of benefit from going in from the ground up really learning the business operations, and then using that to reassess what I thought initially were the right metrics. Well, actually, are they? You know, and it just gives you a time to really test your hypothesis without kind of going in there all guns blazing and looking to instill a whole load of different metrics and we need this and we need that when you don't actually know the business yet. You don't know the people in there. 
So I would urge anybody just, do you know what? Give yourself permission, using that word again, permission. Give yourself permission just to take some time to get to know the business, get to know the people who are driving the business, and also get to know what has made that business successful in the first place. Because it's very easy to overlook that if you don't understand the value that is already there within the business itself. That's really interesting. I think what comes across is that power of listening to the business to help shape the marketing strategy, as opposed to coming in thinking that there's a one-size-fits-all approach for every business that you go into. And I think it's completely the right approach. I think there's, there's so much that you can learn by listening, as opposed to going in and, and shouting and making noise. And, and I think, how much value do you get from that listening side of things? And how much does that help you shape your approach and your strategy? And you mentioned getting to know why the business has been successful up until this point. How do you do that? How do you get to the heart of what that business is and take that forward? I know you were saying I wrapped a lot up in my answer, but you've also wrapped a lot up in that question. Um, (laughs) Let's see if if I can actually uh, unpick some of that. So, okay, in terms of the value, it's this simple. For me, it's, it's the actual foundation of everything I do. How do I look at this? I look at this from, from the perspective that I am going in to a firm that has already proved itself to be a really strong boutique organization. And therefore, by default, the people who have built that, who are normally the first generation of the partners or, or you know, the exco, however you, you, the business is structured, but by default, these people are entrepreneurs, they're incredibly successful, and they're incredibly driven. And there is no way that they would have built a successful business, a successful boutique, if they didn't possess a whole range of wonderful strengths and skills, and also have really good insight into what makes that market tick. And so for me, that's why I want to learn from them. Because what I'm just being asked to do is I'm being asked to now just join that journey. And I'm being asked to now contribute to help accelerate and grow the business to another level. But just because I'm being asked to help grow it to another level, it does not at all mean that I have to remove all of the wonderful qualities that have helped establish that business in the first place. Because that's the DNA of the business. That's the values. That's the culture. And in many ways, that's where your unique selling qualities are, your unique selling points are. And just because I'm being asked to help grow the business to the next level doesn't mean that all of that wonderful pedigree that got the business to where it is today isn't relevant for the next stage of its journey. So for me, how do I go about that? Well, it's in my mind, it's, it's just being what a marketer should be, which is curious. I go into any environment like, and, you know, I feel, I feel like a kid in a sweet shop. You know, the eyes are wide open. You know, the the mind is wide open. All I want to do is just look around on all the shelves, explore all the corners and try as many sweets as I can. But no, but ask as many questions as I can, because that's how you learn about the business. And And when you start hearing the language that those founders or that, that senior team, or even it's not even senior, it can be just the person who's been there for 15 years and seen that journey right the way through. But when you start really hearing the language that they use to describe the business, to me, that's when the magic starts happening. 
that's when you start uncovering the strengths. Because if you can start embracing some of that wonderful language that's already natural within the business, and you start building that marketing strategy around that language, then actually the adoption of your marketing strategy becomes so natural to the business because they just go, oh, is this what we were doing anyway? I say, yeah, this is what you were doing anyway. All I'm doing is just helping you grow that even more. I'm just helping it accelerate and I'm helping you share all these wonderful qualities with a much broader audience that never had the chance to hear you before. I think for me, that's why I start with that approach because it helps me learn the language of the business. I think if you learn the language of the business, you've then won over the entire business. When you're bringing out that story and talking to those founders and partners that they've lost sight of what makes them and their businesses so special and you remind them of that and see them get excited again. And does that help bring them on board with what you're trying to to build for them? I'm pleased that you raise that actually, because even I, through doing this approach, sometimes forget that, that that's actually one of the major benefits of doing it. Because actually, yeah, going in there, getting them to open up about the business and and really start telling the story again, you realize just how accustomed they are to living and breathing it. that They don't actually have the perspective to realize that, wow, this is different. This is unique. This is what's made you special. And you kind of give them that opportunity, again, using that phrase you keep hearing me say, but giving them permission to step back from the day-to-day running of the business and actually go, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that that has got us here. And then they do get more enthusiastic again. You, you're reinvigorating their energy back into the business and you're, you're helping just repackage all of their language just in a way that just, I don't know, I, I use an expression. It's a bit like, you know, you get a good bottle of wine, you open it up, you give it a chance to breathe. And that's, that's all I ever try and do. I try and just unwrap this stuff and bring it out and let it breathe. But all of that, all that wonderful quality was there anyway. That's my. That's what I always say. Hey, look, it was here anyway. All I'm doing, I'm just repackaging it. I'm just giving it a chance to breathe. You said before as well that you felt that you were coming into the business and, and getting on board with telling that story and, and taking it forward and into the business. But obviously that means that you've really got to have that proper buy-in to the business as well. Do you find that uncovering this story and, and speaking with the, with the partners and the directors helps you to get that mental buy-in of the business as well? For me, that's fundamental and something actually that, and again, I would, I would urge other marketers to do this as well, that when you are having that interview process it's having the confidence to ask those questions because i believe as a marketer you've got to get passionate about the culture you've got to get passionate about the journey and and more importantly you've got to believe in what that business stands for so a prime example was one of the first questions i asked the partners at Deminor when i had my very first conversation with them was said please tell me about your company name you know, Deminor. What on the face of it, what does Deminor mean? And then when they explained that actually it's an abbreviation of this wonderful expression in French, which is Defense des Minorités, Defense of the Minorities. I just went, okay, we're done. There we go. And then we're like, what do you mean we're done? I said, don't, don't you want to know more? I said, well, no. I said, you just literally answered everything I wanted 
in terms of finding a business that had meaning. I said, you're, the company name has it all. I said, that for me is my entire journey with you. I said, there we go. Everything just stems around there. So for me, understanding that and then getting meaning behind what you do, getting passion behind what you do, yeah, it just makes it all come together. And it, and it means you can do the most authentic form of marketing going, which is, you know, you just, you're just telling the truth. That's all you're doing. The more you can just tell the truth and stick to the core aspects of what the business is and what it stands for, then you know that it's sustainable and it's going to make the difference. One thing I want to ask on the back of that is what are your other criteria that you look for when you're looking for a role? You've mentioned there finding a business that has a meaning. And you mentioned right back at the start of our conversation around finding the conditions in which marketers can thrive, and that's different for everybody. If one of the criteria is a business that has a meaning, are there others that you have that you look for during that process? You mentioned business size, industry. What are yours? I always start by something I refer to as the trigger moment. And I I will always ask a team this when I'm being interviewed for a role. I say, great, what's the trigger? that has brought us here today. Because I do believe the trigger is a really important starting point. And, and quite often that trigger could be a change in ownership, could be a change in CEO, could be a change in chair. But there's always a trigger moment. And I think it's so important to understand what that trigger moment is to understand then, if you like, what is the motivation behind getting in that marketer now to help drive the business. So definitely trigger moment is one. And the flip side of that is then asking, okay, so where's the goal? Where's the strategic goal as they see it right now? And you've already, you know, answered the Demonor one, which was the question I asked at the very beginning of that process, which is where does Demonor see itself? Why now? What do you need someone like me in to do? And the, the response was immediate and it was straight and it was because we can be one of the leading litigation funders in the world, not just in Europe, but in the world. Like, fantastic. What a great vision. So I think understanding the trigger and understanding where that journey is going to take you is really important. And then you can delve into that a little bit more because then when you ask the question of, great, so what does being one of the leading funders look like? You can dig down a bit, you can understand, well, how big does that mean the firm's got to go? How many employees does it require to get there? And then you can start really building a picture to understand whether it's going to work with the type of marketing that you can bring to the table. And I think that's something I've understood more as I've kind of got older, really. I probably in the past just got excited about hearing some of the journeys that a firm wanted to go on. But I didn't necessarily dig down enough to ask, so how is that going to look? And I think by digging down to the next layer and having the confidence to ask that, I think it's really healthy to then almost act as a check-in for yourself to see whether you've got the right skills to take that firm on that journey. Does that make sense? It does. And I think, I think it's very easy to get excited about a vision. But as a marketer in particular, if the the company doesn't have the authenticity or the next layer of detail to give you what you need to help them bring that vision to life. I imagine it's very difficult to, to be sold on a vision, go into a, a company, and then there's nothing to work with. Actually, I didn't mean it from that perspective because I think every firm, that they always 
are authentic with what they're sharing. I guess what I was trying to get across with that was more so, I know that the type of marketing I like to deliver works well to a certain headcount and a certain size of business. So what can be large in one industry is actually still boutique for another industry. Uh, For me, it was about aligning that kind of business understanding, because then I can understand what large looks like or what successful looks like, and I can still check in to go, okay, that's still going to fit the style of marketing that I can deliver. That was more what I meant, because I do believe that every firm, when you ask that question, they've got that vision. They know what that vision looks like, or they know what it's going to take to get them to there. But I think quite often as a marketer, or at least one of my weaknesses, was not digging down to understand how that vision looked like. So I wasn't clear enough with what that was going to entail. And I think that's something that I've definitely learned to improve on you know, throughout my career. I think that's a really interesting point, what you're saying there about every company has a vision. Have you ever, because I know this is something in my experience, I've definitely come across companies in the past that have a vision that's maybe not necessarily quite right or actually going to get them to where they want to be or they might not be behaving in the way that you'd expect them to be for that vision have you ever encountered that and do you have any sort of approaches that can help to deal with it got to be honest I haven't the way I look at my career I don't swap roles regularly when I I take my time to find the right firm that I think complements my approach to marketing and and my own individual kind of values, if you like. And I suppose the only way I could answer that is by saying there is a lot of value to listening to your gut. If when you're having a conversation, as much as something might look good on the outside and it might look great on paper or it might look great on LinkedIn, if when you start having that conversation, if something in your gut doesn't feel quite right. I would urge people just to listen to that. It doesn't mean that the firm's wrong. It just means that from a an approach or a value perspective or a cultural perspective, it just means you're not aligned. And I would urge people just to listen more to that because I think that's where this dissatisfaction can creep in because I don't think people have enough confidence to listen to themselves or listen to the gut. They they see the opportunity, they they kind of might be, get caught up with a pay rise or something like that. And then they'll they'll dive in thinking, oh, the rest of it will figure itself out. But actually, I think if you can just maybe take a bit more time just to check in with yourself and really ensure that what you're hearing feels right to you, then I think you are far more likely to you know, stay in a role for longer and have a greater impact and and feel as though you're getting a lot more job satisfaction out of that. I want to go back a little bit to the kind of practical side of things, I suppose. You mentioned the kind of first thing that you do or want to do is find that story, find that value, understand the culture, that listening side of things. Once you've got what you need from that process, what's next? Because I imagine you go into these firms as the first or the only marketing person, which is, as we know as marketers, a big role because you're everything from strategy setting, brand, vision, right down to, you know, in some cases, the, the practical day-to-day, the doing. What's your approach to 
to that? What's the first step after you've got that vision? You understand the culture. You're starting to. You, you've got that strategy in mind. How do you bring that to life? Yeah. Now I'm having to kind of cast my mind back to think about how I do this. Okay, so let me try and describe it this way. I think first of all, I don't try and instill this new generation of the firm. I'm not trying to go in there and make out that there is a big change. In many ways, I try and do the opposite. I try and go in and demonstrate that actually there's in many ways, no change whatsoever. This is how you've always gone about things. So I think that's step number one. I don't I don't go in and try and do anything big and sweeping. I think step number two is I find early adopters. I think that's something that I've always gravitated to do, whether it's even been subconsciously. But there will always be people in a business who are more entrepreneurial and risk takers. And there will equally be people in the business who are more risk averse. And I think one thing that has always seemed to work quite effectively for me is seeking out a few of these early adopters and running a case study with them, demonstrating a quick win. Because these are people who by default, will often be quite high profile within the business, and then they become your ambassador in the room. And once you've got one, two, three early adopters on side with one, two, three case studies where they can go, wow, I've just tried this. I've never done it like that before. And actually, the outcome was so much more effective. And I didn't realize actually that that was marketing. I I thought marketing was something else. And again, going back to my point that if you can then demonstrate to those individuals that really you're just here to elevate their role and to help accelerate their role, you're not doing anything that's kind of, you know, completely different to anything they've ever done before. So you're speaking the language of the business, really. But once you've got those early adopters on side, then the momentum can really start to build because it gives the others in the business greater trust in what you're doing. And that's when you really begin to see momentum. So I think I think that's that's how I do tend to do it. It's not going in with any big sweeping decisions. It's it's starting off with small wins with the early adopters within the business. And then you let that ripple effect start spreading. I think that makes a lot of sense and I suppose leads to the question on challenge and pushback from within the business and, and challenges that you've faced from people who, as you say, may be less inclined to see the benefit of marketing, who aren't those early adopters. Are there common challenges that you need to address and overcome? You mentioned quick wins and, and kind of showing value and results quickly. Are there any other challenges? Obviously, that if you can show impact and can show results quickly, I imagine that gets a lot of people on board quite, quite rapidly. But are there any other common challenges that you face as part of that process that make things a little difficult or force you to change your approach slightly? I I wouldn't say there are challenges. What I would say is I I think it's the appreciation that you really are going in to a blank canvas. 
I think that's where some marketers can can sometimes get a bit frustrated. So I think I think marketers by nature want to race ahead. They want to see lots of things happening. And I think one of the biggest challenges is is almost telling yourself that there are times to sometimes slow down, take your time to bet in, you know, give yourself that time to learn the business from the ground up so that you are speaking the right language. And also in, in many cases, particularly in the environments I go into, there are no analytics in place, no way of measuring in place. So again, it's really understanding that you're going to have to put on a lot of different hats when you first join that business to get that infrastructure in place. And I will really stress the importance of that. If you spend your time during those first 60, 90 days getting your infrastructure in place, it is going to make a world of difference to how marketing is understood and how it is valued within the business going forward. So, yeah, they're not challenges per se. It's just they are frequent hurdles that I will often encounter going into a role. It really is appreciating that there is often nothing there. And it's just being prepared to properly roll up your sleeves and really turn your head. And you you may have to learn a completely new CRM and people are going to expect you to know it from day one because they know nothing about it. So it's it's being prepared to do a lot of learning very quickly and being becoming the go-to person that they go to for these solutions. I can imagine that leads to a lot of trial and error. I'm very curious as to how you go about pivoting when things aren't quite going as you thought they would. I think for me, I always feel as though marketing should be in a, a constant period of experimentation, especially now with with how quickly environments and markets are moving. I would say to any marketer that just because something has worked in the past, it doesn't mean it's going to work again in six months, or just because it worked well on one campaign doesn't mean it's going to work well on another. You've got to open yourself up to appreciating that it may look all good on paper, but the reality just doesn't necessarily work. And got to be prepared to move quickly, be agile with it, and completely, to your word, but completely pivot. And I find that especially within our environment, because I'm working across so many different languages, cultures, uh, countries, jurisdictions, industries, and each one requires a subtle approach that might be different than what I've done elsewhere in a different country. And even though it might all look exactly the same on the outset, I've got real-life campaigns going on right now that are proving to me that just because something looks good here and has worked well here, it doesn't necessarily translate across, even though it looks absolutely identical over here. So I, I think my urge is regular communication with the team and and being open enough to look at things and go, okay, this is not working. Let's move. Let's try. You know, And just having the team on board to have that open mind to keep experimenting and 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 goes back to the point that we said before have some key analytics in place so that you can measure it and immediately then you can see whether something's working or not working or whether it's improving or not improving but i think you've just got to have an incredibly open mind and you have to be constantly challenging yourself and experimenting all the time because we can always improve 
doesn't matter if something's working well, we can always improve. And we should always be trying to do that because if we can constantly find ways to make a process more efficient, if we can save time for the team, or if we can take a a landing page conversion rate from 12% to 18%, all of that is going to constantly give the business better returns on their time or better returns on revenue, whatever it is. But I think we've We've got to be in a constant state of uh, experimenting and challenging. I really, really believe that. Building on that and touching on a point you made previously, expectation management and helping others understand that marketing takes time. Testing and learning by its nature is something that takes time because you have to have time to to test, to learn, to pivot, to change, and then put things in place that we think are going to be more effective the next time. Helping people understand that marketing is a journey and there's some things that are quick wins and there are some things that take longer to implement the systems and the the infrastructures that you spoke about some take 60 to 90 days how do you take the business on that journey with you and help them understand that overnight just because they have a a new head of marketing global head of marketing in doesn't mean that they're gonna it's not like turning on a tap i think in some ways i think you've almost answered the question with how you phrased it. But I I think the important thing here is actually to have a blend of short-term wins within the marketing plan to give you the breathing space to pursue some of the longer-term strategic aims for the business. And I think that is really, really important because that way you're demonstrating a consistent return on investment to the team but also you're giving yourself breathing space to then pursue the larger, bigger wins that you know are going to have an impact on the business in the longer term. You mentioned quick wins, short-term successes, and balancing that with the longer-term strategic successes. Could you help bring to life what that looks like for you? What is a quick win, a short-term success versus those things that take a little longer to bed in? I suppose it it could be as simple as finding some of the pain points that the team had that maybe you can just solve really quite easily just because of your training and, and your knowledge of systems. That kind of quick win, as I would call it, even though it might not be direct marketing activity, but being able to take away a, a pain or a frustration from the existing team, you know, maybe something that was taking them a disproportionate amount of time to do, or they had a complete knowledge gap because they didn't realize that maybe their CRM could feed them some really useful information, or they couldn't even use the CRM to access their most important contacts. That's the kind of thing that can be a quick win. It doesn't have to be an obvious one. It's just about helping people accelerate the effectiveness of their jobs. And by default, they then turn around and go, wow, okay, it's great having this function within the business because they help to solve problems. And I think if we can solve problems for people, then that does help to win the hearts and the minds and and it gets you the buy-in that you're after. And then that enables you to have the breathing space to start looking at these longer-term infrastructure projects 
whether it's completely reshaping the website or completely rebranding the business in some cases, but you're giving yourself, if you like, the bandwidth to then pursue these bigger infrastructure projects behind the scenes, knowing that you've also got tactical wins coming into play almost on a month-by-month basis because you can demonstrate every single month, oh, this month we've done this, oh, this month we've done this. And so you've got all these wonderful touch points and milestones that you can keep demonstrating to the business and you keep doing the ripple effect, as I say, whilst you're also dealing with some real big picture or big ticket projects behind the scenes. Does does that kind of make, I, I I know it's still quite vague in how I'm describing that, but hopefully that at least explains the the process behind it. It does. Yeah. And makes a lot of sense. And one thing I wanted to pick up on and maybe take us on a, a year, two years, however long. We've spoken a lot around the early stages, getting into an organization and getting the lay of the land, getting the process started. One thing we mentioned right back at the start is your track record on scaling functions as well and working with teams um, as part of that and marketing teams particularly. Do you find that there's a trigger point, the right time to scale? Or how do you know when the right time is to scale that team? And how do you go about doing that? Scaling, uh, okay. So I think the first thing for us to clarify again I know we spoke about this right back at the beginning, but obviously I work in a boutique organization. And even if I am scaling that organization, it's still going to have a limited headcount and a headcount that needs to be dominated by, I'll call it the client facing or the fee generating side of the business. So that's step number one. So by default, I am not someone that will ever go into an organization expecting to build a large internal team. Okay. So I think that's a really important understanding to have with yourself and also the management team when they're bringing you on board, because that can be one of the biggest areas that firms can become or firms and hires can become misaligned with if they haven't had that discussion. So that's a discussion that I do always have. And we're always upfront about that so that we're all going in with that clear expectation and and understanding. I think the second point then is once you have that understanding, it's also then looking internally within the firm to see what skills already exist. Because I guarantee there will be people in that firm who have an absolute budding interest in marketing and have wonderful skills to offer, but they may not have been recognized for it until you've got there. And what you can do is you can just bring that forward a little bit more. You're not often changing people's roles or you're not changing their titles. or You're not even aligning them in a completely different place. But what I'd say is there are ways to immediately start expanding your internal team just by gaining some resources and by working out who are those people who are actually really interested in what you're bringing to the table. And they are always there in every single business. If goes back to my original point, if you take the time to get to know the business and have those discussions. But then the third bit is really appreciating that particularly in those early stages, you are going to need a whole range of different marketing skills, whether it's content writing, social media 
platform management, video production, audio production, website design, brochure design, PDF design. There's a whole myriad of different skills, and there is no physical way you will ever be able to wrap up those skills in one person or two people within a permanent marketing team, in my opinion. And the other point is you only need a few hours a week of those skills because you're a small business. So again, it does not make any sense to bring all of those or to try and bring those in-house when actually what you want is you need a toolbox you can dip into where you can access those different elements at different times and flex around what you need as you're progressing through that journey. And I think that's particularly relevant to the first 12 months. When you're going in there, you need to be able to accelerate your your footprint really as quickly as possible, but without taking on unnecessary risk from a headcount perspective to the business. So actually, my approach tends to be keep the internal team minimal and make sure that you surround yourself with a couple of good external marketing partners, whether that's digital, SEO, web. But I think it's important for any marketer over the course of their career to really try and find those trusted partners that they know that they can, to a degree, parachute in with them and impose little risk on the business. But actually, it enables you to really accelerate the output for the business in that, particularly that first year while everything is in a high state of flux and everything's learning. Does that make sense? It does. And I think particularly at the moment in the speed that the digital marketing kind of environment is changing at and evolving at, I imagine the skill sets that you need also change so quickly that it makes sense to take that approach and give yourselves and your firm that flexibility because what worked a year ago may not be what works now or next year or the year after that. And those skill sets and those requirements change so often. And the other point on there is is also economic uncertainty. You know, nobody quite knows the direction that the economy is likely to go in the next 12 or 18 months. So again, if you can demonstrate to the management team of your firm that you appreciate and respect that uncertainty, and you're also appreciating and respecting the risk that can come with hires, then I think that's also really important to get you seen as an important part of of that core team. We spoke then around the speed in which digital marketing is changing and the skill sets that you need to make sure that you are holding your own and also staying ahead of the game and the competition. Looking forward and looking kind of in the next, let's say, five years, but feel free to bring it in sooner than that. What do professional services marketers and firms need to be aware of? What do they need to have on their radar and and what needs to be part of their strategy? Wow. Yeah, you're right. Five years, probably. (laughs) Let's say 12 months. (laughs) I think putting the time frame to one side, and I think more to your point, just thinking into the future. You know, what must you consider? I think it's it's that part that we had just been touching on in that the business landscape is just changing, not at a constant rate, but it's accelerating. And I think associated with that, 
is also, at least with the industries I've seen, but I, I also see that barriers to entry for new competition appear to be constantly reducing. So when you put those two elements together, I just think that goes back to the the points we were discussing earlier on in the interview, which is you have got to be constantly challenging yourself and constantly experimenting and always trying to improve on those rates of return. I think that's really important. And what I would add to that is, yes, it is important to keep an eye on the competition. It's important to keep an eye on what industry trends are happening. But what I would say is don't get caught up in all of that noise. I think there can be a tendency of FOMO, particularly within marketing. And what it can do is it can deviate you off your strategy. And I, so as much as I do say, yes, it's important to keep an eye on the competition. Yes, it is important to keep an eye on what trends are coming through the pipeline. I do think it's really important to stay true to who you are and what your firm stands for. Because ultimately, if you lose sight of that, then you will lose sight of the whole strategy. So it, it's, it's a combination of things. You know, you, yes, you're looking in the future. You've got to be aware that that market's changing all the time. You've got to be challenging yourself and challenging the business all the time to stay ahead of that curve. But equally, don't forget where the business has come from and don't forget what has made that business successful in the first place. I think that's really important. And this may be an impossible question. We've covered a lot of stuff and a lot of really interesting insights and lessons and learnings in this episode. As a takeaway for our listeners, is there one piece of advice that you would give special services marketer to make sure that they are prepared for what's to come? I think one thing I always keep coming back to is ultimately people buy from people. You can have all the tech, all the glitz, all the campaigns. You can have all of that around you. But ultimately, it will always come back at some point to people buying from people. And I would, I would always kind of use that as, as my foundation, as my cornerstone, and as my checking board to ensure that, are you doing this for people? And is it going to help enhance those people relationships? A great place to finish. I think that's perfect. It's also what what you really made me think of then was that it's not only are you selling to people, but also do you sound like a person, which I think is something professional services and, and B2B in general can sometimes forget is you don't want to sound like a robot. You want to sound like a person. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Kev. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. No, it was a real pleasure. Um, and it was nice for me. We were using, obviously, expressions throughout there about being able to step back and just take a moment to think about what you do and um, and how you go about doing it. And actually, you know, thank you for giving me that opportunity to do that. Um, it's been a, a really helpful exercise for myself. So, um, you know, 
really enjoyed it and and hopefully the people who listen to the podcast um get get some benefit too i'd say i found it really inspiring thanks so much kev thank you very much thanks very much have a good day Thank you.